there's always an opportunity to be a better us for this world. So claim it! It's time to develop me for we. Happy morning! Welcome to Develop Me For We, a personal development podcast to help you help others as well. So if this is your first time tuning in, hello, hi, welcome. I'm Stasai Son, your host. And if you're on YouTube, kindly like, comment, subscribe, or um, put on that notification bell. And if you're on like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you're listening to, download or follow this podcast, this would really mean a lot to me because I would know that this is the type of content that you guys would continue to want to see and share with others as well. So for today, it's the fourth installment of our series, Review. So that's a book review and preview. It's this one. And it's by John Ortberg, and the title is All the Places to Go, How Will You Know? And there's this little subtitle here that says, God has placed before you an open door. What will you do? So I'm pretty sure all of us have this kind of question in our minds every single time we're presented with an open door or we want an open door. So very interesting. I reread this book like three times because I wanted to make sure that I get through all the important details. So more about this author, John Ortberg. Uh, He is an author of several books, not just this one. So I can't wait to read his other books. And he's also a speaker of so many different conferences and churches around the world. And currently, he's a senior pastor of a church in San Francisco Bay Area. In terms of his background, it's very holistic because he has both a Master of Divinity and a doctorate in clinical psychology. So very nice. Can't wait to dig into the book. So more about the format first. So this book has 10 chapters, and I really enjoyed um, reading how um, his main point, it's reiterated in each of the chapters so you can see how it's developed but also that he wants to make sure that you understand what the main point of this book is so we can really know what what he wants to get across in terms of answering this question it's also packed with a lot of stories so if you're the type who wants to read more about these um, anecdotes on very famous people like Abraham Lincoln, or maybe um, unfamiliar people, yet they're still successful, this would really be something that you would enjoy. I also noticed that that's something that a lot of conferences, conference speakers rather, do a lot. Um, another would be like not just those kinds of stories, but also um, real-life examples of the principles. So you can really see like, okay, this is the principle, I lay it out, and then there's a story or... Um, uh, someone from the Bible, a character from the Bible, like Jesus, Ruth, Peter, Jonah, to emulate. So I just rearranged how he did the storytelling for his 10 chapters because I wanted this preview to be more of like leading up to the main point so that you'll appreciate that takeaway even more. So he started with this question. Yeah, we're going into the preview now. And actually, I have a lot of drafts to my answer to this challenger question. So it is posed this way. If you have to summarize your life in six words, 
what would they be? So an online magazine actually asked this question as an inspiration for a challenge that was posed to Ernest Hemingway to just write a six-word six story um, that resulted in for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Oh, that's so sad, right? Like just six words, but it captures a lot in a story. So responses came in and they were both like funny, some were kind of sad, but it just showed that the challenge of this six-word limitation is that demand to focus on what matters most, to capture briefly something of significance. So you take the lives of the people in the Bible, like no matter how different their backgrounds would be, their journeys are, all of them, all their memoirs would be summed up into these six words, as he said, not caught quite what I was planning. So you can see here that anyone's life can be changed just by going through different doors. And that's why we need to make that right decision on which door to choose. So Columbia researcher Sheena Iangar has found that an average person makes about 70 conscious decisions every day. So that's 25 1550 decisions a year and then for example over 70 years like an average lifespan lifespan that's like a million seven hundred eighty eight thousand five hundred decisions so that ability to recognize doors to discover the range of possibilities that lie before us in every moment and in any circumstance is a skill that is essential but it is a skill that can be learned so it brings us to the possibility of God's like presence and power in any situation on earth. Like there's so many possibilities for us to be sensitive to him being here. Yeah, that's so nice. And we just need to have this thing called um opportunity alertness. So that's what successful entrepreneurs have. So we have this juxtaposition of like a regret and a safe no or a joy in the risky yes. So that is posed to us. But we have to remember, almost never does God interrupt someone and ask them to, okay, remain in comfort, safety, familiarity. Like he opens a door and he calls them to come through it. An open door is an opportunity provided by God like to act with God and for God. So the right kind of sorrow over a wrong decision always creates this energy rather than despair. Like it enables us to learn from past mistakes and grow into great wisdom. So godly sorrow is actually filled with hope. Like I, I personally resonate with that because um, this personal development podcast is just really um, challenging us that with whatever experiences that we have in the past, we would use that to grow even more, not just for ourselves, but for others also. So even the saddest saddest things can become, once we have made peace with them, a source of wisdom and strength for the journey that still lies ahead. So that's why we need to look at this open door through how researcher Carol Dweck says open mindset. So those with an open mindset believe that what matters isn't really like that raw ability, but rather growth. So growth is always possible. So as we mentioned a while ago, it's a skill that can be learned. A commitment to growth means they embrace challenge. So the goal is not really trying to look smarter or more competent than other people. The goal is to grow beyond where you are today. 
Therefore, failure is indispensable and something to be learned from. So that's very comforting for all of us who have made a lot of mistakes. And I am not, I am one of them. And the reason I can be open to tomorrow is that God is already there. So again, with God's presence, it's in every step and wherever we go. And we must abandon a closed-door way of looking at God, our lives, and ourselves if we are to respond to the open door. So closed-door thinking may disguise itself as prudence of, of fear, but actually, no, it's really fear. Um, closed-door thinking looks safe, but it's actually the most dangerous thinking of all because it leaves God on the other side of the door. Like, he's waiting for us. Like, come through, come through. But no, it's there's that fear that because of closed-door thinking. So actually, feeling ready is overrated. God is looking for obedience. So open-door people are comfortable with ambiguity and risk. Or maybe if you're not really comfortable with it, at least you don't just allow it to paralyze you. So God's open doors are not always obvious, actually. They are not primarily designed to be that open door to wealth and status. And going through open doors means you will just be able to trust God with your future when the path you're called to doesn't always look like the obvious one. So yeah, just go through. like Because there will always be an excuse to hinder you from going through different doors. And perhaps open door people make more mistakes but have fewer regrets. So cultivate this willingness to charge through an open door, even if it's not maybe this particular door. So Ortberg actually also brings superstition into the discussion when we make decisions. So this in light of us like being uncertain and feeling unprepared, we sometimes like resort to superstition to help us in like making or easing into that kind of decision. So he says that the problem with superstition is not just that it's ignorant, it's an attempt to use some power or force without placing oneself in obedience to a being who is concerned with justice and love. So it's like quite a reflection for all of us. Like, do you want to subject yourself to like the random universe rather than a God that who is like loving and just and just wants the best for us? Though it's not always in the way that we would want it to be, but he knows best. So we violate the nature of this divine human relationship because you we make ourselves the master and God is that genie in the bottle. And I make that right outcome my idol. And we are tempted to use superstition to be spared of like anxiety or to avoid blame for our own wrongdoing or just to bail us out of trouble or to seek inside information to what we want. So again, it's all centered on what we want. We want this is our right outcome. This is how I see it. So superstition seeks to use the supernatural for my purpose and faith seeks to surrender it to God's purposes. So sometimes when we desperately want God's will, what we really want isn't God's will at all. And what I really want is what I want. So we just try to manipulate things to make it seem like, oh, this is what God is telling me. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. But really, it's what we want. Or it's to maybe offload the anxiety of decision-making. We don't want the anxiety that goes along with the possibility of being wrong because decisions wear us out. So choosing comes from the core of who we are. When we truly choose, we have no one to blame and nowhere to hide. So choosing thrills us, actually, but it also scares us. And it's central to personhood. 
So poet Archibald MacLeish says, Without the possibility of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. And God wants to learn, uh, God wants us rather to learn to choose well. So he's trying to enable us. We think more choices means more freedom. And more freedom means better living for us, yay. But having too many choices does not produce liberation. It produces paralysis. So I just really realized how blessed we are that um, God is in control. Like he's sovereign. And I don't have to make every single decision in my life because I realized that I take for granted a lot of things that is going on in my life. These um, things like, okay, what if I... Um, the one who decides like when gravity would set in or these other laws of nature or these um, things that I, I never knew were decisions for me to make because God was working sovereignly in my life. So we take it for granted a lot of times because, you know, choosing drains us and it takes energy. So wise people would shepherd their choosing energy well. And this is why wise people never make important decisions when they're in that wrong emotional state. So never try to choose the right course of action in the wrong frame of mind. So this is a good advice for, from him. So how should we prepare ourselves to make that, those right decisions and go through the right doors? So his first step is self-awareness. So yeah, if you saw my recent post, change starts from self-awareness. So the question of who are you? As per vocational expert Andy Chan, is the foundation of all vocational exploration and career development. So by having that clear sense of your interests and strengths, like those skills that you're good at or enjoy using the most, the aptitude, talents, personality, aspirations, and life experiences, you can begin to envision the type of work and life that would be appealing and meaningful to you. So by knowing yourself, you will develop a new set of like valuable lenses to evaluate potential opportunities and prioritize work that you would pursue and work that you probably shouldn't. So if I know what most motivates me, I will be able to live a life of sustained engagement. Like if I know my wounds, my weaknesses, I will be able to grow from them and perhaps even conquer them. And if I know the kind of people I best work with, I will be able to be part of a team and not just a solo act. So self-awareness means looking at my strengths, my passions, my scars, and my partners. So we'll get through those one by one later. So Marcus um, Birkingham says, uh, strengths are not simply what you're good at, and your weaknesses are not simply what you're bad at. You will have some activities in your life that you might even be pretty effective at doing, but they drain you. So those aren't considered strengths. Like, okay, I'm good at like administrative things, like I'm good at organizing, but they drain me. So it's not necessarily a strength because it doesn't give me that kind of energy and engagement. So something you've been blessed with, lots of ability to do well, but cursed with no appetite for it, you call that a weakness. A weakness is an activity that leaves you feeling weaker after you do it. So that's for strength. And then for passion, it's an area of your life that fires you up. And then for scars, where you've been hurt, because you will be equipped to help others. So this is an encouragement for all of us who have a lot of hurts and scars because God never wastes the hurt. Then for partners, Jesus never sent out his disciples in isolation. You can see that community is very integral to the mission. So in addition to your passions, your strengths, and your scars, there will be people in your life who will 
affirm you, who will cheer you on, and participate in what you're doing. On our own, we tend to suffer from like confirmation bias, and we seek out information that confirms only what is already what we want to hear, rather than looking for that unvarnished truth. And people uh, watch cable channels that reinforce their political bias, something like that. So we pretend we want the truth, but what we really want is just the reassurance of the positions we've already like staked out. So we need others. We need them to help us in like recognizing those doors. And not just anyone, we need people with wisdom to be discerning and the courage to be truthful. And also, there's also guidance from God. Uh, we should be open to his guidance and we should seek it and listen for it. But I shouldn't get always try to force it because uh, don't take it like you're a failure if you don't get to sense or receive God's guidance as he says. As is often the case, his guidance was not so much about what God wants us to do through us, but more of like in us. So this making of a choice just really enables us to become the person he wants us to be. So often what matters most and is not the decision I make, but how I would throw myself in executing it well. It's better to go through the wrong door with your best self than the best door with your wrong self. So sometimes the way in which I go through the door matters more than which the door I, which door I actually go through. So responding to the open doors God sets before us is a matter of not only being aware of what's going on outside of us, but really being aware of what's going on inside us. So that's really one of the main points he also wants to, um, uh, for us to remember. So choosing which door to enter involves not just like reading my circumstance, but really reading myself. So discerning open door opportunities around you requires awareness of the world that lies inside you. Like that lack of self-awareness is just a crippling handicap that no amount of talent can overcome. So it's better to acknowledge that, okay, uh, aware of myself and then when I go through maybe a wrong door, just acknowledge it. Like it's better than to stay there and spend your the rest of your life in the wrong room. Like if you remember the concept of sayang, like don't have that kind of buyer's remorse. Like it's never too late to practice self-awareness. Like you might be in a different season now and you realize like, okay, this seemed like the right door, but maybe it's I, I'm in the wrong room. So continually ask yourself like what your strengths are, your passions, your scars, and your part who your partners are. And of course, as a general rule, God will give you not only the skill, but also the interest to do what he asks you to do over in the long haul. So maybe now you're not that like engaged, but you were doing it in obedience that, yeah, God, I know this is what you told me to do, to go through this door. But in the long haul, like maybe like zooming out, like you'd see that big picture. And pursuing that open door will just really tell you the truth of what you're really after like oh i've been manipulating this kind of outcome all this time and i've been after wealth all this time i said i really wanted to serve others but i'm so unhappy that i'm earning so little in this um, ngo or what and lisa turkers actually has this nice quote she says god doesn't demand perfect decisions just perfectly submitted ones so you can really see this focus on god caring more about who we are rather than what we do. So if we know our natural tendencies through self-awareness, we're equipped to just better submit to God. Like, okay, this is my weakness, this is my temptation. Like, I know 
what to submit and how to submit to God. So this call just obviously means that it doesn't mean that we can't fail. God actually called many people to walk through doors that would lead them to like enormous difficulty and not external reward. And having second thoughts or buyer's remorse, like that sayang, is an inevitable part of walking through open doors. So it's not fatal, it's not final. So the greater the door, the greater the call for wholeheartedness for us to like take that leap of faith for God. And you mean like the I, I like this question he plays like, oh you mean that there would be an expectation that I would vo- voluntarily suffer loss, refrain from pleasure I could otherwise have, sacrifice my comfort, reduce my lifestyle, give up my time, confess my sin, be accountable to a community, and humble my pride? Yes, yes, yes. Yes to all those. But alongside that integral step of having awareness of your strengths, passions, scars, and partners, it's also important for us to be aware of the biggest problem as well. Like, you'll be defined by your biggest problem. And what do we mean by this? So you can choose if you want like to devote your life to like the problem of how can I be rich? How can I be successful? How can I be healthy? How can I just be secure? Or you can devote yourself to a nobler problem, as he puts it. So your identity is defined by the problem you embrace. So small people are just preoccupied by small problems. And actually, this is what FOMO teaches us, it, the fear of missing out. So it tells us something fundamental about ourselves, like in terms of our problems. Like we have this insatiable hunger for more, and we have a longing for life beyond what we are just experiencing right now. That's why we're so discontent, like, well, what this problem and all. And handled rightly, FOMO can lead us toward God's open doors. So the real deep reason that FOMO exists is that we were made for more and we really are missing out. So our hunger for more turns out to be insatiable only if we try to be wanting more for me. So Frederick Buchner uh, says, To journey for the sake of saving our own lives is little by little to seize to live in any sense that really matters, even to ourselves, because it is only by journeying for the world's sake, even when the world like bores and sickens and scares you half to death, that little by little we start to come alive. So more if it's only for me, it turns out to be less. So there's this term uh, in Latin called magis for more. So my alma mater. Matches. Uh, this single word that Ignatius used to inspire heroic deeds. Like it means like a broader spirit, like that restless drive to imagine whether there isn't some even greater project to be accomplished or some better way to be attacking that current problem. So Loyola says that this ideal Jesuit would be always living with one foot raised, like always ready to go through an open door. So that's so nice. Like Magis isn't doing more, it's like being more. So we were made for more, not to have more out of love for self, but to do more out of love for God. And that's why we need a God-sized problem. If you don't have one, maybe your current problem is you don't have a problem. (laughs) Life is facing and solving problems. Like when God calls people, he calls them to face a problem. The standard word for the condition of being truly problem-free is actually dead. So 
Ichak Edises <laughs> says that having fewer problems is not living, it's actually dying. Addressing and being able to solve bigger and bigger problems means that our strengths and capacities are improving and we need to emancipate ourselves from small problems to free the energy to deal with bigger problems. So growth is not the ability to be able to avoid problems, but actually growth is that ability to be able to handle larger and more interesting problems. So what's your problem? <laughs> Do you have a problem worthy of your best energies, worthy of your life? So let's ask this question, okay? Like, God, what problem in your world would you like to use me to address? Like, we should intentionally embrace problems. Another question to ask yourself from this every day is, why are you still here? Like, am I just here for me? Like, really? Is it is the only reason I'm on earth is to keep myself on this earth and to make my life more comfort comfortable? Like, really? Is climbing the ladder all that this life is all about? Like, what the world needs now is not simply us, like, having these isolated outward deeds that we continually do. Like, it's something to reevaluate about ourselves, like, with what we do. Like, okay, you have an impact, a good, you do good deeds, but that's not what the world needs. What it needs is people with this transformed character within. So we don't just need, like, niceness, but we need kindness. So don't strive to advance yourself. Let God advance you and serve others. So what if God tells you to enter through like a certain door and you're like, eh, God, uh, why this door? Like, okay, done already with the steps of self-awareness. I know I have this capacity to go through big doors. Like, why are you making me go through like this small door? Like, I have capacity for great things, right? But we're reminded here by um, this verse in Zechariah 4.10 that do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So no project is actually so great that it doesn't need God and no project is so small that it doesn't interest God. So Mother Teresa says, don't try to do great things for God, but do small things with great love. So that's um, so amazing. It actually uh, relates with the brave view that i have episode 12 go small by craig gross that it's really appreciating the small things that we do because we need those small little actions for a greater impact so do not despise the day of small things for of such is the kingdom of god like a small thing is like a mustard seed which is uh the kingdom will be great indeed but it looks small and insignificant to human eyes like human eyes but for god Wow, like it is like yeast which eventually will permeate and transform everything, but to us appears like the smallest of ingredients, but yeast like changes everything. It poofs off the whole bread, right? Like babies and mangers, they appear small and insignificant to us, but that is how God comes to us. Like human eyes think it's so small, but no, God always surprises us. So I will never go through a big door if I do not humble myself to the task of discerning and entering at all the small ones. So I personally remember Luke 16.10 here on us not being entrusted with more, with bigger, because we can't even be entrusted with little. So whether big or small, that open door, maybe, ultimately, God's primary will for our lives is not really the achievements that we accrue but it's really the person that we become. So God's primary will for our lives 
is to become a magnific magnificent person in his image, somebody with the character of Jesus. Like not for us to be like little robots that just like follows all of his instructions, but people of great character and great judgment. So there really needs for us to have and to make lots and lots of decisions. That's our primary way to learn. Like testing that character of uh, ours, like will we um, make this decision with integrity and honesty and what what kind of way like would the end justify the means when i do these things like that is how god really refines us primary way to learn and decision making is an indispensable part of character formation yes i very much agree with this i do not have to be afraid with failure because i do not have to live in fear over circumstance like each moment is actually an opportunity to look for a door that opens up to god and his presence so that gives us this new way of choosing like we no longer have to live in the tyranny of like stressing over the perfect choice like god can use what looks like the wrong door actually if i go through it with the right heart like god loves to give us choices because like choices just develop our character so just really cultivate that kind of right heart and allow God to work on your character because the main thing that you take into the world is not really the stuff that you do, it's who you are. And better to go through the wrong door with the right heart, right? Than the right door with the wrong heart because eventually it'll, the output will just become rotten. And he gives this verse in Ephesians 1.4, God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So you can really see it's so aligned with scripture that God's primary will for our life is that we become that person of excellent character, wholesome liveness, and divine love. And that's what the words like godly and holy mean. Even if it sounds so religious cliche and all, that's what it points to. Like persons of excellent will, judgment, and character get formed no other way, okay? So it's always, okay, you decide. You decide. Like that's what God is encouraging us to do. So it means that God cares more about our personhood and character than anything else, which of course, what would we expect from a truly loving God? Like that's how he empowers us to draw closer to him. And the doors available to us may often confuse us actually. Like if our criteria, as he says here, like if our criterion for, for choosing doors, door judging is just easy, then every time I hit hard, I will be filled with so much doubt about God, myself, and my choice. But an open door does not promise an easy life. Like actually, trouble avoidance <laughs> is tempting, but not really ennobling. So Jesus used the word easy only once. Like, I really love this part. It wasn't about our circumstances at all. No, he actually promised us a lot of troubles in this life, right? He did not say, I will give you an easy life. He said, I will give you an easy yoke. So taking on a rabbi's yoke before was a metaphor for taking on his way of life. Jesus said that taking his yoke, arranging our lives to constantly be receiving that power and transforming grace from the Father, like would lead us to this new internal experience of peace and well-being with God. So in other words, easy doesn't come from the outside, like the circumstances. It comes from the inside. Easy doesn't describe my problems, it describes the strength from beyond myself, like it's from God, which I can carry my problems. So open doors are mostly just those small quiet invitations for us to do something humble for God and with God. 
in a surprising moment. So it's not the task we do that makes us great in God's eyes. It's the attitude in which we do it. Like God will open doors for people who have humble hearts, not inflated egos or outsized talents. So often an open door is as simple as a second thought, like do the right thing, no matter how small. Okay, do what any decent human being would do in this situation. Honor your commitment when it would be easier, so much easier to just let it slide. Or sometimes going through an open door means just not being a jerk. Like as he says, if the door is not more glamorous, well fine, let's just settle for I will be obedient. So okay, now that we know that what God wants to do is like in us and through these open doors, we know how to discern which open doors to go through. So now it's time to take that leap of faith and obey, even if we're scared. So Ortberg uses the book of Jonah by breaking down this very familiar story to all of us in an entirely different light. Like from that surface level one that we're so familiar from children's stories. So God is the God of open doors. He opens doors all around, boundless opportunities to contribute to humanity in ways large and small to make our lives count for eternity. So God opens a lot of doors for us. Actually, we ask for open doors from him, but sometimes we resist going through him. Like, oh God, give me a sign or give me an open door. And then when it's there, like, oh God, another one? instead like so abraham maslow actually calls this the jonah complex so it's that evasion of growth and a defense against calling so he says like if you deliberately plan to be less than you are capable of being then i warn you that you'll be deeply unhappy for the rest of your life you'll be evading your own capacities your own possibilities so fear is never overcome by situation avoidance like we were born to be brave so the consistent command to us is that command in Joshua, like, be strong and courageous, for the Lord will be with you. Like, this repeated over and over. And three times in the first chapter of the book of Jonah, we're told that Jonah runs, not just from his calling, but from the presence of God. But <laughs> you can't escape his presence, right? And yet, the antidote for fear is actually the presence of God. Like, he was scared, so he ran away. But that is what he needed at that moment. And Jonah thinks that he's running toward safety, but maybe what really looks safe from a human perspective is not actually safe at all. Maybe the only safe thing, safe way, is to be in the will of God in your life, even if it means choosing that door to Nineveh, that scary place you don't want to go to. So you'll you'll see how he just develops that whole story like i'm just taking out a lot of um info and just focusing on these but there's so much to learn and read once you read this book so i really encourage you to read this book so he'll summarize this that even if we wait until we hit bottom to pray like jonah god is still there so he ran away from the presence and when he's at rock bottom god is still there so god places an open door before jonah but Again, it isn't about Jonah. Like, it is a door for Jonah to be a vehicle of divine love for someone else. It is his lack of love that allows him to run the other way. So the real reason Jonah does not want to walk through God's open door is simple. A failure to love. So you see from how he explains it here that us choosing doors is not always for our benefit. It's for everyone else's, like for the world's benefit. And sometimes that's why we don't want to go through it because, oh, I sacrificed myself. 
So now we may never know for sure in this lifetime if we went through the right door, but God has greater things in mind for us than knowing for sure. However, understanding why like some doors shouldn't be open can help us grow in our ability to learn the difference. So he gives this example that baseball executives say that some of the greatest trades are the ones never made. So similarly, similarly, some of the greatest players are the ones that never get answered and in the way that we want. So some of the greatest doors are those that have never been opened at all. So sometimes doors remain closed because we want the wrong thing. So again, with the right heart. So think of all those prayers we had, maybe like in the heat of the moment that oh, we're so frustrated with the person, or maybe uh, we were asking for good things for maybe a certain job position, but maybe that's not it. Because prayer, it's not just an incarnation of something that we want. It is a talk with a person, a very wise person. So sometimes God will say no. And actually, thank God that he does. Thank God that he actually says no. Sometimes, like fast forward, a particular door never could have opened if other doors weren't closed in the first place. Like Paul came to understand that kind of grace would come just not by removing that thorn in the flesh from him. So he would experience that grace by keeping that. So often it may be that when the door marked go looks closed, it's because there's a door marked grow on the other that's wide open. And we just have to just relinquish that door sovereignty to God. And I love how he ties all this just to the gospel. Like the heart of the gospel is actually an unanswered prayer. Jesus kneeling down in the garden of Gethsemane, praying, God, Father, Father, if it's possible, please, this cup, this suffering, take it away from me, that be taken away from me, but not my will, yours be done. And it hurts for us and for everyone, like for Christ, to get a no when you want a yes more than anything. But... Sometimes you just don't know why we get the no. Or actually that unanswered prayer is also like an answer. And we only know that in the cross, God's no to his only son was turned into God's yes for all of us, for every human being ever lived. That we have this opportunity for a yes in open doors because of that no he did for his son. And actually the ultimate door is a person. It's Christ. Wisdom named the door less chosen. Take up your cross and die to yourself. And then if you die, you will actually live. So we forget the price that God has paid to open the door of heaven for me and for everyone. Like It's a picture of that search we all have for a door that we cannot find. We are all outside the gate actually, but God doesn't want any of us to be left outside. God is always trying to bring the prodigals home, right? And that door to the father's house is always left open. Like, it's just that invitation for us to go in through that door. Jesus actually took in our, took upon himself, our outsideness, so that we can go in. We have that open invitation. Jesus himself is the door. Like, no other human being ever said this about themselves. Like, through Jesus, the door, the way up there has come down to me. Like, we have that access so forget what is behind as he says and as one of the great tasks of spiritual life is learning what to remember and what to forget like i'm to forget what is behind like my guilt my inadequacy my weakness and all my regrets like forgetting in a sense that like we don't 
let that hold as our reality now because we are offered this free gift of being new creations because of what Christ has done for us so we can move forward we have that open door in front of us so Ordberg shares that there's this old saying for travelers like a car's headlights only shine for 15 feet but that 15 feet will be enough to get on to our way home like God knows just how much clarity we need and how much clarity is good for us like not too much not too little just enough so don't fo follow just for the sake of clarity like oh this seems unclear so i don't want to go through that path we should follow god so god often gives us just enough clarity to take that next step in following him so again it's with the right heart with obedience so no matter how vague the calling of that door or the door marking is like exercise that obedience to god and be that better person that that new person he wants you to become so that's it for this preview i hope you all enjoyed i really enjoyed like sharing all these insights with you guys so i didn't realize i was cut by the video so i was speaking too long apparently so i was just saying that we already have a facebook and instagram for develop me for we so it's just one word so just search that and kindly like and follow because i post there every single day for uh, quotes and questions that we would um, ask ourselves aside from the ones in the episode today so that's it kindly follow and i'll see you guys in the next episode then so i pray you all take the time to think through these critical questions and don't forget to make the time to take the time so happy morning <laughs>